but medical service is like this. So there was going to come a, a gap someday in time where there are not going to be enough doctors to treat all those people. And it just happened with COVID. You know, all the hospital systems in the world got overwhelmed. I mean, there were too much sick people. And, and, and not even, and right now I, I, I shared in LinkedIn a, a, a paper that uh, she's called Rachel from, she's from a, a place in London, where we're talking about uh, the backlog of chronic diseases. I mean, all the people that were sick of hypertension, diabetes, you know, cancer, they weren't even accepted to hospital. No one wanted to go to hospital. So Eduardo, great to Are have you on the show. Thank you. Um, it's a great pleasure being here with you. Yeah. So I was mentioning before the show, um, you know, I, I, you know, when we looked at you on LinkedIn, it says you're uh, a volunteer firefighter and a volunteer um, paramedic. And it's one of the things that got you into healthcare. So I always I thought that's quite a story there to be told. Uh, looking forward yeah. to get to know that. How are you doing? Yeah, I, I kind of miss it a lot. I miss I miss jumping on the on the fire truck. And now that I'm married and have three kids, my wife doesn't let me that much <laughs> to get on the fire truck. It got she told me I got some responsibility going on. Absolutely, uh, it, it's crazy. You know, a lot, a lot of people dream about being a firefighter, especially when you're a kid. You know, it's like a, such a cool job, but yeah. very few people end up pursuing it. Um, I got fortunate. Um, one of my friends, closest friends, was a uh, training to become a paramedic when I was in university, and I got a little, little glimpse into the lifestyle. And I'm like, wow, this is you know, I even considered moving into that area f uh, one time. Not gonna lie, but uh, firefighting is even cooler. Like, I had a friend who dropped out of university, decided the path wasn't for him, became a firefighter, uh, became a firefighter for the Toronto for Toronto um, fire like you know fire division like yeah, downtown yeah. like you know, and you know had some crazy stories there, but on the side, help, built a business that's doing phenomenally well. And now 10 years later, you know, he's, 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 he's retiring from the force and he has a full functioning business happening. You know, it's, it's a really interesting industry that, uh, that, 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 that's built up yeah, around firefighters. And you're full of ventures. I remember when I was in college also. I mean, I did volunteer, but I had a lot of stories. So sometimes, you know, I, I was, I remember a time when I was getting, yeah, you know, I had to go to, call, to, to class and, and I always had on my car, like on my radio. So if, if I heard a, an accident or something like that, I would just turn around and then go, you know, go and, and help in the accident. And I will come back to school, not not all bloody, but, you know, kind of dirty or something like that. And, and so they'll excuse me for being um, you know, late for the class. And I'd always have some cool stories, you know, for the whole class to, to That's <laughs> to, really cool, man. Where, where, where'd you go to school? So uh, I'm 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 originally from Monterrey, Mexico. So I've been uh, I've been living in, in Mexico for for all my life. Uh, uh, I, I studied agriculture business, uh, international agricultural business in Monterrey Tech. Uh, but at the same time, I, I always you know did my I had the opportunity, so I did my paramedic class at Red Cross in in Monterrey, and I studied structural firefighter at Texas A and M. So uh, Monterrey is very close to Texas, San Antonio, Texas. So we had the opportunity to to be there, and it's always been a volunteer. So, so I mean, uh, since I was very young, I, I come from a agricultural family. So my grandfather started uh, a poultry business. So they raised chickens, and and then uh, and you know I've come from a very traditional family that everyone you know you're, you you aren't born yet, and you already have a a job there. So my my grandfather started the business, and then uh, so his name is Eduardo. So my father is Eduardo. I'm Eduardo, and I had to, I, I put my son Eduardo also. So, but I mean, I started you know very young since I was in, in high school. We started working in, in the family business. I mean, we, we always uh, worked and and studied, and that's how I you know I started. But I mean, uh, and that's how my story started you know on the on the business side. 
I, I started uh, working with the family business, but just one day I said, you know what, you know what, this is, I mean, like I said, you know, you, you're already not, not even graduated and they already tell you you're going to be the CEO of this company because, you know, all the, all the boys, you know, the firstborn boys are the ones that are going to take care of, of business. And, and, and I decided one day, you know what, I, I, it's not, it's not into me. I mean, I, I love, I love the business and everything, but I, I felt something inside me that was, you know, something ro different that I wanted to do. So it was kind of a mess. I mean, I, 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 you know, got in a fight with my dad. I said, I don't want to work with him. So I, I, I left home. And I remember the only thing I knew at that time, I was 22, was being a paramedic. So there's this place in Veracruz, Mexico, that's a swift water park. So, I mean, not, not park. I mean, there are, you know, rapids uh, toward, toward that part of, of Veracruz. So uh, I remember I called this guy. I, I knew him. I said, you know what? I, I, I'm out of job. What can I do? He said, well, you know, come down here and, and you know, be a paramedic at our camp. So for that summer of, of it was 1998, I, I went down there by bus from Monterrey to Veracruz, like a 12-hour bus, uh, bus ride, and, and started working as a paramedic. I worked as a paramedic there at camp. No, I had no salary, but I mean, I, I, I usually lived from the tips that, you know, the other uh, guides had from the, from, the, from the guests. And that was the whole summer. It was really cool. I mean, uh, I remember there was this uh, uh, a thing called the Marlboro Adventure Team where they had uh, like a, a two-week-long promotion to Marlboro. The, the cigarette company had a promotion for, for guys, you know, and they would, they would select them and they would be rafting or in jeeps and, 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 you know, activities. And I was a paramedic there, and my first time I, I had to get some ambulances and, and, and hospitals, you know, because they needed that medical service. So after that, after the job ended, you know, I went back to Monterrey. I started working at a, at a retail supermarket in international business, so I was doing imports and exports. I continued my studies. And at that time, I said, you know what? I want to do something about it. So I remember I went to my grandfather on my mother's side, and I told him, hey, you know what? I got this idea, Grandpa. You know, I want to do this and that, but I need some money. So he lent me some money, and I bought my first two ambulances in uh, San Antonio, Texas. What? Okay. So yeah, yeah. So I drove their ambulances with a friend of mine, with Manolo. I remember we drove them all the way to Monterrey. It was, I mean, a six, eight-hour drive. And that's how I started my business in, in 1999. Uh, I just, you know... The only thing I knew, and, and it's a cool, you know, it, I, I, I have very good memories of it because I remember I used to, you know, run the ambulance, invoice, you know, charge and, and sail at the same time and I had to wash the trucks. And, and I remember the first time we just had uh, service between 7 o'clock in the morning and seven, at 7 o'clock at night. But we also did 24-hour service. So what I did after 7 was that uh, I would get, you know, my phone uh, directed to my cell phone. So if they call the office, my, my, my phone will ring. And I remember one time at 4 o'clock in the morning, they just called me. They needed a transfer of a baby uh, from one clinic to another. So I, I you know, I, I was, I was uh, at my house. So I had to, you know, I got the call at 4 o'clock in the morning. So I went from my house to the office, turned on the ambulance, let it warm. And it was an incubator. So I had to, you know, take down the incubator. Then I had to drive to, the, to a nurse's house where I pick her up. And then all the way to the clinic. So, I mean, the, the transfer from the clinic was 10 minutes, but the whole scenario was about two hours. And then after, after we, we transferred the baby to the hospital, then go leave the nurse back at his home, leave the ambulance and go back to sleep and get up again at 7 o'clock in the morning. So, I mean, I, mean, we were, I was young and I was a little bit more full of energy. But, but yeah, I mean, very, very nice memories, I mean, from, from, mm -hmm. those, uh, from those beginnings. And, and, and then, you know, that's what kept me being more in the industry. So... So after, after I, I finished school, I finished my, 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 my graduation at Monterrey Tech, I decided to, you know, I wanted to live, be, live of this. I mean, an, an ambulance service was okay, but I wanted to be more. I always had that, that idea of, of, you know, wanting to have more. And, 
and, and, and or having a better impact or, or better, you know, uh, a more impact of what I've been doing uh, to the society. So we decided to enter the medical industry as a whole. So I started, uh, then I, first it was called Lifeline Ambulance uh, from 1999 to 2002. And then I decided to call it ProMedic. So we changed from being an ambulance company to being a, a, a medical industry. So we started doing more of a, we opened a clinic and then we started doing what we do right now. We do occupational health services. So, so in Mexico, our, our main business, ProMedic, what we, we do is we provide occupational health services for a company. So, so in Mexico, by law, if you have more than 100 employees, you need to have a medical uh, personnel at your campus or, or, or present at the company. So we have uh, either from just one nurse to uh, we have a big company so, that Ed, yeah. Eduardo, I gotta cut you off here because like yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're skipping over some a lot of, <laughs> yeah, I know. A lot of <laughs> cool things that you just dropped. So you just started a ambulance business while you were in high school. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, almost at the begin at the beginning of when I was finishing high school. Finishing high school. Yeah. All right. So we got to talk about. <laughs> what it means to start an ambulance business, because <laughs> um, you know you're obviously you know that that's a very very niche industry to just jump into. So what goes into that? Like um, you know you mentioned your grandfather was able to help you out. Like how much does an ambulance cost? Like where do you buy such a, an ambulance? Like uh, well well you know it's funny because uh, so in the states uh, by law you can only have an ambulance for four years, four to five years. So you need to renew your 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 ambulances every 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 year. So so what I started, I started with, with youth ambulance. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was a whole adventure. Now that you ask, I mean, because, so we're talking about different states. So a different, uh, we have to do the whole, uh, you know, importation and exportation. The way I have to export it from the states, make an import from, and I'm talking about, I did, I, the first time I just scrolled to the border and I was like, yeah, I want to cross. Well, I mean, where's your paperwork? I mean, I was like, why do I need a paperwork to this? I just want to drive my ambulance. I just want to serve it. And they, I mean, it was a whole experience. I mean, now so that you, you need paperwork to bring it into Mexico. Yeah, I mean, you, you need to you know to go to uh, to the regular you know regulatory uh, instances and do you know customs and stuff like that. But I mean, it's pretty straightforward in that time. But I mean, I, I didn't also have to you know leave, leave the ambulance at the border uh, through Laredo, Texas, and then you know go back to Monterrey and do all the paperwork with the <laughs> invoicing. And I, I I don't know if I remember. I think the first ambulance. I mean, I'm talking about 1999. Would have cost me around eleven thousand dollars. Or fourteen thousand wow. dollars, something like that. Wow. I mean, it was not nothing at all, you know, nothing at all to, to what we find right now. And and yeah, I mean, and they just sell the, the ambulance without nothing. I mean, just I'm talking about just a vehicle. You need to stock it, and you need you know get your your uh, defibrillators and, and monitors and and your airway kits, you know. And it depends on on what level of care you want to provide. So and then you gotta you know get the driver's license and 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 yeah, and with the health ministry, you need to. Uh, with the health ministry, you know, from Mexico, you need to demonstrate that you have the capabilities of the licensing in order. I mean, not licensing, but just the capabilities of... Uh, of Did of... you get all this done before getting the first ambulance? No, I already <laughs> had it at the border. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, I already had them. I was like, well, I didn't know all of this, but let me, well, let's do it, you know? Bro, that is so hilarious because... I've heard of so many hustles like you jump into, you know, you just, you know, I, I myself, you know, I, I randomly got into the scrap metal business at, at a time when it got, the scrap metal industry got uh, going good. No business being in there, just got a truck and started going at it. But that's one thing, right? Uh, so I always wonder about people who just jump into things. I had a great boss who talked about business as like jumping out of a plane and you build a parachute on the way down. 
But this is uh, this is amazing because you just started an ambulance company while finishing high school, and you just did it on the fly, right? Um, okay, so so you got this ambulance, you crossed, the, you brought it into Mexico, you started, you realize you need all this paperwork and all this stuff done. You get get through that. I'm I'm assuming this takes a few months to get done. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, it took it took about about a month or so. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's, it's it's great to change my memory lane. There's a lot of things, you know, I just had blocked out of my mind, and now I'm thinking about it. It's like, well, because then I had the ambulance, and then and then I remember, I remember someone in, in my family. Where are you gonna park them? I mean, you're not gonna park them out of the house. Yeah, you need an office. Oh, oh yeah, let me look for an office. So I, there I am, you know, Monterrey, looking for somewhere to park these big trucks. Because I mean, <laughs> and and we're talking about, you know. It's not you wouldn't find that regular ambulance type in in Mexico. I mean, because there were you know the bills that you will find. I mean, not not in, in Mexico right now. We we already built ambulance like you know like the American you know uh, in in compliance stuff like that. But by that time, there were no ambulance. I mean, you would just get a truck and you know get a gurney and stuff like that. And so these were like the first you know well not the first but they were like imported ambulance you know big trucks with double you know double boxes and so I mean. A lot of ho- even hospitals were not even ready to to have ambulance like this, you know, because the hospitals weren't made with with double heights. So some, sometimes we couldn't even park the ambulance inside. We'll have to park on the side on the curb and take the patient to the gurney and, and get him to the ER or whatever, whatnot. Wow. But yeah, I mean, it, it took a couple of months, and and I remember, I remember uh, you were saying that you mean jump in, and and then I remember when everything was kind of ready and everything I was like, well, and I'll tell you another funny story after this, but. Uh, I was like, well, okay, how am I going to get clients? So I was already, you know, it was like my first semester in college. And I was just like, you know what? I just got an email. And so I jumped in. I mean, I'm talking there, those very slow emails, not, not, not anything like we have right now. So, so I wrote my dean uh, just one night. So I just wrote him, you know what? He was the, the dean of the whole system, not only for my campus, but I'm talking the whole tech of Monterrey in a whole country. I was like, you know what? Uh, my name is Eduardo. Uh, I'm an average student. Uh, I just, you know, bought some ambulances and I want to, you know, give service because Monterrey Tech has two hospitals. So they have like a, a medical part and, and, you know, the whole in engineering stuff like that. So I wrote to him and I just tell him, you know what? I, I'm doing this and uh, I want, you know, I want support. And, and, you know, lo and behold, the next day in the morning, he copied me with, with everyone that could give me job. I mean, could give me service that could give service to. So, he put me in contact with sports, uh, the director of sports. So uh, everything like uh, American football, soccer that needed ambulance coverage, I was there. And since ever, I mean, I would, now we've been serving more than 20 years to the same. I mean, it was our first client and, and we still are giving service to them, to the campus, to the hospitals. And I was like, I, I didn't, I didn't mind. I remember, uh, so uh, like a couple of years later on, uh, I don't know if you heard of a cart. It's like a NASCAR Formula One. So it was like a, an indie race that, that was very popular. So they were running in different parts of the world. So they are going to Monterey. So it's a big, you know, the first time after Formula One that we had a very big race, uh, IndyCar race and type of IndyCar. It was called a car series. But I mean, I'm talking big cars and, you know, big scenarios and big everything. We have a big park in Monterey. So they build a track. And I had a contact there and I said, well, I, you know, I want to be there. I want to give service. So, so they gave me, they gave me the meeting with the, you know, the director of the race and everything. So I was there and he said, well, okay, everything's fine. So here's what we need. Uh, we're going to need 10 ambulances. Uh, we're going to need a helicopter. And I'm like, can you provide it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wait. No, no worries. No, no worries. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I stepped out of that, of that office. I was like, man, how am I going to get a helicopter? How am I going to get some ambulances? <laughs> 
But I did. I mean, I, I came here. I, I came to the to the meeting. Didn't know what to expect. I mean, I know that we're going to give evidence service and stuff, but I, I didn't know that, you know, the requirements. And because the guy know the guy at the race knew the guys and knew me. He was like, well, okay, I mean, if he's come recommended, he's going to make it. And I just had two ambulances about that time. I was like, man, what am I going to do about it? Well, but I mean, and, and at the end, so we found, we, we find, you know, we, we, we I, I went with some people, some investors, you know, I told them I have you the letter of, you know, the contract. And so we bought a couple of ambulances, more ambulances in, in Texas and we got them over and, and we, uh, we, we find, uh, I found through some government uh, agency that there were some guys renting a helicopter that was able to ambulance. So we, you know, updated and everything. And then by the first time it was in 2004, uh, the first uh, kart race in Mexico and we yeah. were the whole, I was like, Dreaming my, you know, living my dream, man, you know, be, because I, I just love all that system, you know, with, you know, <laughs> you know, with the headsets and, and, and everyone at the race. And so you got an all access pass and you're in the, you know, pit lane and stuff like that. Just living the dream. It was, it was so, so cool. And man. we did that like for four years. <laughs> Bro, that's one of the wildest stories I've heard. I like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was, it, I mean. I, now I think, you know, it's been, it's been a whole journey, you know, what, what you have done. And, and thankfully, but it's not just, but at the end, it's not just, you know, being out there and pushing and, you know, taking risks, you know, but, but I think part of an entrepreneur is, you know, there's a saying a lot that they say, you know, fake it till you make it. Uh, but I mean, but you gotta be, I mean, it's, it's, it's a balance, you know, you have to, you know, be confident and, and be trustworthy of, of what you're doing because at the end you can start like that, but, but then people are going to expect you to get, you know, uh, to deliver, and especially in healthcare. I mean, because people, uh, people in healthcare, you know, the, uh, life depends on you. I mean, yeah. it's not just, you know, going out there, but, but if you know what you're doing and, and you have the ability, but, and, and at the end it comes true. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a combination of, I wouldn't say just luck, but because you need effort and you need, you need a team, you need people to trust you. And, and, but I mean, you gotta be out there and, and you gotta, you know, get things done. That's crazy. Did you have to hire like uh, licensed uh, like nurses or paramedics, like um, like to, uh, 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 rather than just drivers? Like, did you have to have them on staff? What was that oh like? yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, and I remember. I still have one of the original guys. I mean, he's been like for twenty years with us, and mm. and I mean, I we started from just being a six man crew. Right now, we're around one hundred and thirty uh, people in in Mexico to the whole operation after fifteen years. So. So yeah, I mean, but no, no. And right now, I mean, where are we right now? I, I, you know, we have a complete staff, and 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 again, you know, it takes time and it takes team. You, you cannot do it, you know, all by yourself. And and I remember the first times when when you're an entrepreneur, and I think it happens, you know, when I was a little bit more young, you want to do everything. You want you want to be a one man job, and because it's kind of hard to trust people. So you, I don't know if it was the case with you, but I mean, at the beginning, I wanted to do everything because I want everything to be perfect, and I want everything to be great, and. But at the end, and, and, and you probably have to have a team, but if you started doing tasks that they're supposed to do, you doing it, you know, people are just going to be, not lazy, but they're going to say, well, the boss is going to do it. Mm-hmm. And at the end, it comes a time where you're too, there's too much things and you get, you get overwhelmed. So, so one of the important lessons I had was that, you know, being trustworthy and, 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 not, and, and not just being trustworthy. I mean, getting the right people and getting more intelligent people in front of you to help you overcome and, and, and do what they do best, you know, and especially medicine. I was a paramedic and that's it. But sometimes I needed an ICU nurse or a, a, a advanced paramedic or something else to do certain things. And, 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 uh, and, and actually we, we did that. I remember in our story, you know, big, you know, it's, I mean, we, I remember what time they called me. So a, a neighboring, a neighboring state had a very bad accident. So uh, a gas truck 
got stuck in the railroads. So a train just got in and, and crushed it. And there were, it was like about 15 or 20 people that got burned. So we had to do a, 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 a aerial evacuation. So we rented a couple of planes and we, we, you know, there were cargo planes and we just, you know, I got a bunch of doctors, uh, ICU doctors, and, and we did a whole big operation. Uh, so moving patients from that state to Monterrey. And I remember we started around six o'clock at night and we ended up about four, four in the morning. We did like four or five uh, uh, you know, transfers from, from one state to another. And yeah, it was, whole, it was a whole adventure. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been, it's, it's been a, a while. I mean, it's what happened fun. to the business? Did you sell it? Um, is it still operating? No, no. Well, 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 what happened was that as I continued to grow, uh, I, I've been a lot, you know, in love with entrepreneurship. And, 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 and one of the things that happens was Prometic was getting big and big and big and big. And, and it came a moment when, when I said, you know what? I became overwhelmed because of, of all of it. Because I think there's a special kind of, 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 of position for, I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, you're a developer, you're a, a CEO, and I said, well, you know what, at this level of company, I wasn't feeling, you know, not, not comfortable. I was feeling overwhelmed because, I mean, I'm talking, we already have like 400 people. We started, you know, giving service in other parts of Mexico and, and talking about culture, talking about, you know, uh, uh, organization development, business development, planning, budgeting. I mean, we're talking about big things and, and I'm more towards, I always wanted to be more in the street. I want to be more hustling. I want to be no gigs and, and. So I had to make the decision of, of stepping down as CEO of that company. Mm -hmm. And for me, I remember talking to my, you know, my other, uh, <laughs> because one of my, my, my uh, I mean, uh, owners, co-owners with me is my mom. Mm. So I remember, you know, having a board meeting. I was like, well, you know, but I said, mom, you know, we're not doing the results that we want to. And she said, oh, but you look beautiful. Don't worry. I was like, no, <laughs> I don't want that. I want, I want to be pressured. I want to be, you know, accountable for <laughs> But. But also, so what I did, I, I, I decided to step down as a CEO of Prometic and I did uh, my, my holding, it's called the Grupo Seara. Uh, and what we started doing was getting ancillary businesses from what we saw of the necessity of our clients. So the first business I also started is a medical waste company. So I started, you know, I bought these two small trucks that also are very law compliant because we work, I mean, we, we, we take, uh, you know, all the, the medical waste, you know, the needles, the, the you know, bloody gauze and stuff like that because our companies needed to have a law compliance company that could come and pick up that, that medical waste and have a proper disposal. Mm -hmm. So I started the company and then I started to get into med tech. Uh, so right now, uh, Grupo Seara has uh, six companies uh, in, in the umbrella, uh, all serving uh, in Mexico until I started uh, CardioTrack. So now, now that, that I, uh, and first I started CardioTrack just, I mean, not, not, not as a big, not, not as a big opportunity, but but I saw again with the clients. So in, in, in some developing countries, uh, like in Mexico, uh, if you're going to do a high risk job, uh, let's say work scaffolding, uh, confined spaces, uh, if you're going to operate heavy machinery, you need to, uh, get your blood pressure taken. So, so imagine we have a client that uh, it's a real steel company that has around 5,000 employees in their, in their site. So we would do any, anything from 200 to 300 blood pressure measurements per per shift. So at seven o'clock in the morning, three o'clock or 11 o'clock, we would have a, a, a lot of people just coming to the medical department and getting the blood pressure taken just manually. Just imagine a nurse or a paramedic, you know, with the normal, you know, BP measurement, not even electric. And just, you know, they will take the blood pressure, write it on a piece of paper and that's it. 
So if you're okay, you can go to work. If not, so so I found there an opportunity to say, you know what, we can automate this process. So so what I did is uh, I found a medical device, uh, an approved medical device that would would be automatic. You know that those kiosks, the things, you know, and and would give us data. So what we did is we we coded the front end so people would be identified either by their magnetic card or their uh, QR code that we g gave them to them. And, and then they will take the blood pressure and blood pressure would be sent up to the, to the cloud and we would see if, uh, if they were okay to work or not. So that's how we started and, and that was done uh, in the late 2018. And we started to get a, a very good traction of it, you know, because we were, uh, you know, taking, and, and not, not that much to replace the medical personnel, but to leave, uh, you know, get them more time to do more essential things. So, so that's how we started and, and, and whole 2019, we were very you know, successful. We've been very successful with that, with that company because we were automating. And then what we started to see was that we started to get a lot of data. And so we started to get the, the value of the data, of the data information. And, and just by normal observance, we saw that, you know, a lot of people were being rejected. So, I mean, uh, you know, some people were being rejected three times a week and four times a week. So they... They wouldn't, not that they will send back to home, but they couldn't do that task that they were, you know, that they had to. So we started to get into look into that. And what happened was that they were having very high uh, blood pressure rates. So we said, well, you know, something's bad. And, and, we, and then we come back and ask him, did you know that you were hypertensive? They were like, no, I didn't know that. So, so we started to look a little bit into the clinical side. And, and I don't know if you know that, but hypertension is called the silent killer because you don't know that you're hypertensive until you really have that bad measurement. So you can be a little bit over the, the, the edges of, of, of the readings, but, but you don't know them because the only way to really diagnose hypertension is through measurements. And I mean, us that we're, you know, in our early, you know, late 30s, 40s, we don't take that much of, 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 of the lectures of, of hypertension as we should, of, of measurements. So, so we started to look into how can we you know, empower and being from a country that has, you know, lacks a lot of, of, of health, you know, public health. I mean, we are the lucky ones that can have, you know, medical insurance, stuff like that. But, but I'm talking the general population, it takes a toll. I mean, imagine, imagine someone having a stroke or a heart attack, the impact it has not only on the person, but on the whole family itself. So we thought about doing something that could really, you know, impact and, and let them know. So if we're doing law compliance because of the company and we're helping the company, how can we Give that back to the, you know, empower the patient and let him know it and let him, you know, take, take care of his, of his, uh, of, of his uh, you know, readings. And, and that's how I did another, uh, you know, just impulsive jump. I remember I, I told my wife, you know what, you know, and, and we thought, I also wanted to do this a global company. I wanted to cut the track to be a global company. I always wanted to be, you know, more than just out of, of Mexico. So, so Prometic was very hard, you know, because it's very uh, human resources uh, heavy and it, it was not that easy to, you know, to just open, open another other border. So, so we, we saw the, in, in Toronto the opportunity, you know, being such a pioneer in technology and, and with all the ecosystem, we know with Mars in the accelerators, you know, accelerator center, uh, Haltech, you know, there's a lot of things going on. So we decided to look into it and see the opportunity. So, uh, you know, just, and, and it was just in pre-pandemic. I mean, just, I mean, we started, I remember I came to Toronto in, uh, in January, 2020. Uh, it was minus 25. I remember the very, that very good. So I came to, uh, Toronto Tech 2.0. I don't know if you heard of that association. Uh, it's no Tech 2.0. It's called Tech 2.0. Tech, mm. Yeah. Tech 2.0. So, so they, they do gatherings and stuff like that. It's very cool. So I, I came to a gathering. I, and I remember just being there at the TELUS building. It was, it was like the last 
gatherings, you know, big gatherings that they had. And uh, I remember that I was just, you know, chatting a lot and talking a lot with, you know, a lot of people. And, and Sorry, suddenly there was like a... When was this? We were... uh, uh, January 2020. Oh, really? I, I usually you go... were there. No, I, I usually go to a lot of a lot of events, uh, especially in Toronto tech scene. But uh, I've, Tech 2.0 sounds familiar, but I haven't been there. This is by the Telus Buildings in Scarborough? No, with downtown uh, Toronto. Downtown? Downtown Toronto, Probably okay. They, yeah, so they did the, I don't know if it's, the, you know, they usually do it there, but, I mean, it's a, it's a cool Tech 2.0. It's a, it's a nice, you know, organization. There are 2,000 people on, on Slack channel, and they do oh, a lot talking, of webinars. Oh, you mean, you mean Tech Toronto? Uh, um, yeah, Tech Toronto. Yeah, Tech Toronto. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I said, uh, I, thought, I thought you said uh, Tech 2 Toronto. Oh, no, no. Yeah, Tech Toronto is amazing. Oh, of course. Oh, Been yeah, there yeah, multiple yeah, yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so I was there and 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 uh, and I remember there was like an open mic session and I just mm-hmm. you know I just saw the mic coming through me and say well here we go so I got it and I just stood up and you know I said my name and, and what we're doing and and I had a very good re- reaction so I said you know what this is the place to be and and then there's this organization called uh, Latam Startups Latam uh, yeah yeah so so with Miriam Miriam Lazarte I I met Ikate with her and I told you know this is what we're doing we're a tech company she said well you should apply for a, a bootcamp. So we, we applied for it, and I, we were going to actually start on, on March uh, on the boot camp, but, but, you know, couldn't do it because of the dates, and then, you know, the whole pandemic started, and, and so we ended up uh, applying for the boot camp in August. So mm-hmm. we, we got in August uh, virtually. I remember I wanted, I wanted to come to Toronto. I wanted to, you know, take the boot camp in presence, but, you know, border closed and everything. So I remember I still, you know, I, I, I'm not a queer. I, I, I remember I, I called the embassy in Mexico and told, you know what, I, I got to be there. You know, I got this uh, invitation letter and, and we really tried it. We, but at the end said, you know what? You can take everything virtually. So if, if it's not essential, you got to stay, you got to stay home. So we started uh, in, in August, the whole bootcamp. And in, um, in September, we finished that bootcamp and started the soft, the soft landing. But this is a funny thing. Uh, I've, I've been traveling to Canada with my family for the last five or four years, mm-hmm. but more towards BC. We usually go skiing to Whistler and stuff like that. And, and one time in 2019, when I was there, uh, we were also exploring uh, the cannabis side, uh, the medicine, uh, medical cannabis business. So since it's you know, a big thing and, and, and very good you know, to help, especially, we thought of, of, of taking that business to Mexico. But uh, Mexico regulation was very far off. I mean, we yeah. just we just been legalized. I mean, we we were legalized now in I think in the 13th of March, like on the on the, on the lower house of representatives. It still has to go to the higher house and then the president. And right now, Mexico pol- politically wise is a mess. But but I mean, so on that time, I wanted to do that. So I incorporated a company in BC in 2019, and 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 since everything you know the scenario, I didn't use it and just leave it there and stuff. But now I use that company so. So when I wanted to start my business here, I used that company to get a, a, a work permit. And uh-huh. I just, you know, I applied online and I remember I was, you know, at home and, and uh, our permit came like the final of September. And I told my wife, it's here. So we applied for, you know, the whole family. And I remember the 14th of the, no, the, the 3rd of November, we got the whole authorization. And by the 14th of November, we were all here. So, I mean, no question that we just pushed everything and, and, and very happy. I mean, and right now, uh, we have started, uh, uh, you know, seeing the value proposition and, and where are we going and just met some, I have, you know, had the opportunity to have met a lot of very interesting people. I mean, I, I think Canada is a, it's a great place. And I think all of us that we're here on a migrant side or, or working side, you know, there's a lot of, you see that, 
that that whole ecosystem of of of, of how to you know relationships and, and contacts and how can we help one another and and it's been a very good experience. I mean, for us, it's been uh, it's it's been it's been just so great. Mm. Man, that's that's quite the journey. <laughs> I got <laughs> I, I got to admit, um, it's really cool that now you're in Toronto. You know, you built this uh, medical empire in Toronto, and you you came to Toronto. Now, this is what this is a this is a piece that uh, you know astounds me. You have this infrastructure in Mexico. Did you come here for the talent or the infrastructure? Um, you know, what's oh, about Toronto that brought here to uh, brought your tech company here? Definitely the talent, talent. Definitely the talent. Right now, we are. I mean, we're just into uh, two months of 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 our, our complete journey because I mean, I was here in November, but you know, obligatory quarantine, and then after the quarantine, there was a complete lockdown and. And, you know, the whole adventure, there's a, a lot of adventure, you know, trying to find a house. And yeah. I remember lo looking for a house and, oh, yeah, well, so we go look for a house. And, but, yeah, I mean, who, who are you? Well, I mean, Eduardo, I mean, you have no credit card here. You have nothing here. You're no one. I was like, yeah, but in Mexico, I, I don't care. You're, you're no one. Not, not oh, my house. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's a, it's a, I mean, but it's, it's a very, you know, enriching because we never had I had the, the, the opportunity of, you know, going through that, to that process. And, and right now I, I, I went today to get my uh, driver's license. And, and, you know, the whole thing, I was like, how are you going to give me a G1? I've been driving 20 years. I mean, and I cannot drive from, so I mean, with that whole thing, and, and, and it's very good. But, but yeah, basically because of, of, you know, the talent here, I see a lot of talent and in, you know, in the data space, a lot of data opportunity, data scientists. And, and we just started with, with Holtech and, and, and TechPlace, our, our AI strategy. So we finished our AI strategy for a company because right now in CardioTrack, so just to, to let you know of the big data we have, we're taking around 3,000 blood pressurements per day. So hmm. we have more than 300,000 uh, uh, measurements and more than 20,000 patients engaged in continuous monitoring. We just also added uh, weight and scale. Uh, we added also temperature. So, so now the thing that we want to do is what do we do with that, with that data? So our, our idea to came to Toronto is that, I mean, and not, if, not California, I mean, but California is so big and everything, but I, I, what I love about Toronto is that, you know, you get the both of two worlds. You got talent, you got a lot of big universities, a lot of big accelerator centers, a very nice country where, where, where you know, two things can combine. So, so I, I, that's what I, I'm looking for, you know, and, and, and most, you know, just going to a point back, it's talent, you know, mm -hmm. having the opportunity of, of, of talent. There are a lot of investments, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, of, of, of the investors and, and founders and, and fundings. It's very different than the States, you know. Here, there's a lot of things that you can, you know, yep. talk a little bit more. We had a conversation uh, uh, this morning with a, uh, uh, I wouldn't say investor like that, but, but more of a mentor. We, we have a very big conversation of, of opportunities and, and different venues. And everyone's just so open to hear you and yep. give you a, so, two, two pieces of advice. That's so, so, so incredible. Yeah, man. Welcome. Well, welcome to Toronto. I'm glad to have you. Um, <laughs> very happy. You know, I love I love a good entrepreneurial stories, um, and that's definitely you're definitely one of the top ones I've heard because that's that's a that's a real hustle and grind. I love I love people who just jump and into things and just do it, you know, and just figure things out on the way. Um, as I mentioned before, like I had a few bot, like you know, I had the pleasure of working in in, Tor in Toronto with a few people um, who have built companies like this. You know, uh, one of the one of the things I love about uh, my, my, oh, we got a little bad connection there. Um, yeah, one of the things I appreciate about my work history, right, is that I've been able to work with small companies that are built, uh, small to medium-sized businesses that were built by entrepreneurs who take who took great leaps, and get just being around them when you're a young age and seeing how they are, like it really gives you the kind of like uh, like 
kind of like almost a first-hand glimpse into that kind of mindset, right? But it's a whole other thing when you're you're the, you're in the hot seat, right? When it's all up to you, you know, you make this big swing, you make this big risk, you jump off this big uh, the cliff, and you're trying to build this thing on the way down, and you're getting up and running. So, kudos to you. That's always a great accomplishment. But um, you know, now that you're in tech, you know, what are the challenges you're seeing that are different than the other companies? Um, yeah, and, and you see, you know, one of the things, you know, doing that lead, because I had the opportunity of, of you know, just, I had, you know, I bit this organization and, and a lot of very smart people are, are, are you know, you know, being the CEOs of, of the different companies already built. And, and I had the opportunity just, you know, to step down. And so I did a little bit of an investment angel. I, I invested in, in some companies in, in uh, one, actually one of them, you know, got into YC. Uh, y Combinator and you know did very it was in the 2020 I mean they did very good they're still working uh, it's a, a digital pharmacy Vitao uh, mm-hmm. there in Mexico like a pill pack factory wow. and uh, so I mean they did very good and but I, I had the opportunity to just you know step down but I said no I, I'm not so I decided no I, I talked with you know with, with my board and, and with some of the other directors and I told me you know what I want to step I want, I want to get be in the game again they're like well I mean I don't care. So I decided to be CEO of a company. And, and, and then again, you said, you know, I'm, I'm the only one here in Toronto of the whole team and I'm doing everything. I'm, you know, I, I'm, you know, trying out the medical devices. And actually we started a, a, a demo with a company for the thermometer. So I went and I, I assembled the whole thing. So I got some things in from Mexico and I'm there, you know, doing with the Raspberry Pi. I'm not a technician guy, but, you know, looking at YouTube videos and, you know, assembling the, the, the Raspberry Pi and, you know, and, and the device. And, but it's a whole experience. So, I would say uh, being in tech really, and it, it all depends on, 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 on how much you really want things. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in my 40, 44, so I mean, I would be other generation, but I've never left myself down of, of being up to date in things. And I love to, you know, talk to guys like yourself or, or other guys who whenever have the opportunity. My, my, our CTO is, is 30, and actually he was a doctor, mm. a medicine doctor, but he, he left medicine to be a coder. So he self-taught himself to be a coder. So, so I think I get into that type of, of, of ecosystem for the same. And, and, I, and I would say it's, it's very fascinating. It's very fast. You really got to be up to date about everything because tech, tech is running so fast. That, so, I mean, before, before I came here, AI was like, you know, these big machines and this big, you know, blurry thing. And you didn't know where to even start. And now as, as you, you know, try to progress and, and be more into the market, you, you really understand the potential of things and, and how, how, how can, you know, tech impact. And for me, uh, being in the healthcare space, and, and I think, you know, pandemic showed us, you know, I love, I love this, you know, kind of graph that, you know, population is like this, you know, population is always like this, but medical service is like this. So there was going to come a, a gap someday in time where there are not going to be enough doctors to treat all those people. And it just happened with COVID. You know, all the hospital systems in the world got overwhelmed. I mean, there were too much sick people. And, and, and not even, and right now I, I, I shared in LinkedIn a, a, a paper that uh, she's called Rachel from, she's from a, a place in London, where we're talking about uh, the backlog of chronic diseases. I mean, all the people that were sick of hypertension, diabetes, you know, cancer, they weren't even accepted to hospital. No one wanted to go to hospital. So, I mean, we are going to be, uh, you know, in front of some days, it's going to be hard because we need to really expand our opportunities. So that's why I love tech and that's why I love medicine, because I think there's a combination to really be able to, to, to serve even faster and better. We're always going to need the doctor, you know, doctors always going to need to. Be. I don't think AI will replace doctors. I don't think AI will replace nurses. 
I think AI or machine learning or, or tech in a whole is going to help doctors to make better decisions uh, faster. Because right now, all the decisions have to come to the doctor himself. They, they need to look at all the stats and say, well, well you know, look at all the, the little paperwork and say, well, you know what, Eduardo really needs surgery now or he doesn't. But that takes a lot of time, you know. Uh, and how, I was you know, talking again in the morning with a, a family doctor sees around 30 to 40 patients a day. And they take around 20 minutes hearing, you know, the story and then have to, you know, take paperwork. And, and they, that takes a lot of time. So I think there are several key places where tech really, really can, can impact. Yeah, um, Eduardo, I'm not sure if you're getting camera issues, but um, I think we got to a little bit of a low connection issue. Not sure what's going on here. Um, are you still with me? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. I, I see you good. Okay, I, I can hear you clearly. Uh, the tool we're using, um, you know, Riverside, uh, it allows us to, it'll still keep recording on your end and it'll send me the okay. clip, right? Okay. So uh, we'll just keep continuing. Uh, it should fix itself soon, okay? Okay. Um, but yeah, this, this is a fascinating story. If you, if you can continue. Yeah, so, so, so for me, the importance of tech, uh, as you were asking, so tech is really a very important key. So, so I mean, Toronto has that all. I mean, it has a lot of people, very intelligent people and, and, and very good universities that are really pushing, uh, you know, students to go out there and, and find that specific field. So, and, and, and it's, it's incredible. I mean, right now, what we would, would be aiming for is to get more of those data scientists and, and, and clinical advisors, we work, we're trying to work with some of the universities to find our, our, our value proposition and, uh, and our proof of concept about, uh, you know, detecting hypertension through the massive scanning. So, so a lot of big opportunities. Interesting. That's, that's, uh, that's really cool. So uh, I'm actually more concerned about you know, launching a tech company, right? Like, are you, uh, what about yourself? Like, did you ever feel out of place launching a tech company? Like, you don't know code or you don't know what's actually going on? Or was there a learning curve for you to understand things? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not even, you know, savvy on coding. I mean, I, I know the basics, mm -hmm. and I try to to get up to date to everything. But I wouldn't say that there's a limit, or, or I mean, you set the limits. I mean, for me, like talking about my experience, I didn't have to be a coder, or a data scientist, or an engineer to get to know. I mean, I, I like to to read, not that much read, but I like to get up to date, and be surrounded by the people. So, so I would say, you know what, I have the idea. I have this great idea, but let me surround me, surround me by people that are really experts in that. And I mean, yeah, I mean, there was going to be, you can always ask yourself, is this the right thing? Do I need to be in this specific field? But I think I've proven myself, not only myself, but the rest of, you know, everyone out there that you don't have to be a coder in order to code. You don't have to be a doctor to have a, a clinic. You don't have to be, I mean, I think there are more key factors involved. I mean, but you got to respect, I mean, you're not going to fly a plane if you're not a pilot. Mm -hmm. But you can run something like that. It's like, it's the same. I mean, if there's like the will to, to, to really want to do things, you can do it. I mean, you, you should have that, uh, you know, be humble enough to, to really recognize what are your limits and, and be the kind of leader that would get people that really know to compliment you. I always, I always find uh, leadership very much like, uh, uh, you know, um, on a big orchestra, you have the conductor. So, I mean, you can have the best violin uh, artist right by you but if the you know the, the conductor doesn't start he's not even going to start his show so so i think that's one of the, the the key points of leadership i mean being a good conductor and having the best crew available or the best people and and try to work it together and and that things for me that's how things are get done yeah so 
uh, I, I want to talk about like um, you know the life of an, lifestyle of an entrepreneur, right? When you're like grinding and building up, and you're trying to do all these different things, right? What does that look like to you when you're trying to balance life and and work, right? How do you how do you keep yourself uh, you know progressing in both uh, both atmospheres? Well, it's hard. I mean, and sometimes you gotta. I think. And and for me now, especially like I was telling you, I have three kids. I mean, they're eleven, nine, and six. So so they're pretty much demanding right now. They're demanding, and 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 if you don't look into that, I think entrepreneurship is like when you're an entrepreneur, you work all day. You, you don't care if it's Monday, Saturday, Sunday. You're always browsing. You're always answering emails. You always want to be out there. But but I think it comes. And now that I started again uh, this whole venture of being uh, you know in front of CEO because. I was just behind the lines and just looking at everything and looking at opportunities. But now that I'm CEO, I got to think, I mean, from, from, I remember I'm here in Toronto, I got to pay my taxes and I, and everything was done by the accounting service in, in Mexico. I mean, but here, since I'm alone, I, I got to do my accounting and I do, you know, got to pay my taxes and I do my, my, my tax reports and everything. So, but it's fun, but, but you really have to manage that. And, 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 and there's time for everything. I think, uh, as, as you start to find a team and you start to find the right time, it's, it's, it's like they say, it doesn't matter if you work from seven to seven. I mean, you can work from seven to three, but if you're efficient in what you do, if you really do the things that you're supposed to do, you know, things get, get by. I mean, because you can lose track uh, a lot of time. And, and you know what I've learned a lot in, in this, you know, new, new, new venture, I would say, you know, for me, a new beginning, because for me, it's like a new beginning. It's, it's to really take into consideration what really matters, you know, because sometimes when, when you're an entrepreneur, you want to do everything and you want to try everything and you want to you know, mess up everything. And that's okay. You know, and, and that's something that I think has to be in, in every part of your life and in every part of your, your career life. But also ask yourself, you know, should I really be just doing all this or should I just focus my energy in, in, in what really things that matter and, and, and surround yourself by, by talented people. They don't have to be, you know, your employees. They can be mentors, advisors, friends. But there re- there's a really knowledge out there that, that can help you, you know, cut corners and try to get faster to, towards where you're going. Yeah, that, that's um, that's always interesting, man. Like, so balancing life and work, right? Like, you know, now that you're more, uh, you know, you have family and you've, you know, you've been around the block a little bit. Like, what's your schedule look like? How do you maintain your days? You know, well, do you... I'm, I, I'm, Sorry, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm kind of the, the, the crazy kind uh, <laughs> because, you know, I sleep, I, I sleep uh, you know, thankfully I'm healthy. I, I do my exercise. I try to do my exercise. So I get up at around five in the morning. I try to do some, some bicycle spinning, some, some push-ups and stuff like that. And then I, I, you know, try to get up with some emails and I try to get some meetings with the team and, and just get some work done. I would say by now, I mean, I, I'm trying to be in here with my family alone. I mean, because my family also, you know, they, since we had a, a big cluster of things in Monterrey and everyone was so busy, I try to spend more time uh, uh, with them. And, and so I try to get my mornings very busy uh, all the way, let's say, from, from 7 o'clock all the way up to 3 or 4. And then I would come back and try to spend the afternoon here at the, at the kids. But, but then again, uh, you know, it's it kind of the conflict because I'm, I'm, I'm starting to look at uh, looking at a global company. So mm-hmm. not just operation in Mexico. Probably we're going to be looking at operations in Colombia, in Peru, where, where there, you know, hypertension and cardiovascular disease is everywhere in the world. Uh, we're just having a call in the morning about, you know, they, they told me, well, just look into Africa, Rwanda, Ghana. They're countries that are, are coming out of, of very harsh times and they're building and looking to rebuild. I was like, 
<laughs> now I gotta go to Africa. I mean, but but thankfully again, I have a very nice you know family. My wife supports me a lot, and and my whole team. You know, I, I would say again, it all depends on, on the trust that you you know deposit to the teams, and 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 once you do that, once you trust, and once you 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 give them power, a lot of a lot of things could go on your way easily. Yeah. And hmm. it's hard. Let me, let me tell you this. You know, it's hard. Uh, North American market is hard. I mean, uh, it's a very mature market. Uh, we have learned a lot about privacy issues, you know, uh, uh, how everything is very clear about your things and your privacy uh, before anything else. So, so that's been one of the, you know, the, the more interesting challenges. And, and, and that sets a very high bar for us in order to, to, to come up to that. Because, I mean, we are law compliance in, in where we operate and everything. But it's very different, uh, you know, regulations here in North America, especially in Canada versus Mexico or developing countries. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a entering a mature market has this, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting points. Amazing. Yeah. That's, you know, the, you know, like um, I'm saying amazing because like I think you've outlined some really interesting things because there's very few people that came through the podcast, you know, even though they're in global markets, talk about the, the particularities of the global market because they're generally, you know, from here. Uh, they're you know they they're working out of the location that they're generally from, right? You have now come to this uh, come to Canada, come to Toronto, and now you're launching something uh, back in in, Lat in the Latam regions, right? So I think this is a really interesting way you're seeing the, the lens from a, from a North American's perspective, but having lived, um, you know, uh, you know, back home. So I would love to ask you this more more questions, right? Like, what is um you know is there restrictions or um, is there, you know, a, a problem sets of running, um, running issues, like running businesses, he, uh, you know, um, back home versus here, like in uh, La 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 Latam areas versus the North American areas, like the, the South versus well, North? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, but I think being in a, you know, being headquartered, that's, you know, that's our goal, being headquarters in Canada and being uh, servicing Latam really gives you an advantage because, uh, so... In LATAM, we have a, a very big corporations, so very big international corporations. Since LATAM has, a, you know, more as a manufacturing set of skills, so a lot of the big companies go and set, you know, factories there, and not only in Mexico, but I mean, in, in all parts of the world. So, so being law compliant with a, with, a, with international in, a, in an international place sets the bar different, and they see the, how you apply different. So that that's helped us being leveraged because yeah. regulations here are going to be much much higher rather than there. So that helps us. You know, set set the bar for ourselves to be even better of what That's we're doing in some other places, and, yeah. and that the only thing that only happens is if we have competition, the competition only has to get better. So the whole ecosystem gets benefited because of that. I mean, it's it's more expensive to be honest. I mean, uh, you know, you have we have to comply with with PIPIDA and and HIPAA compliant and and all of that things that that really, you know, you have to spend a lot of money and, and lawyers and, you know, to, to go all that way up. Mm. But that's going to reassure your clients anywhere in the world that you're doing good, that you're doing better, your bar is different than the other. So, and that takes, that takes a good advantage. Man, that's, that's really interesting because generally we hear of companies trying to do the opposite, right? They're trying to go to places of less regulation, less restrictions, more favorable tax codes, right? Trying to go to places of least resistance because, uh, you know, they can operate better. But, you are, are are going against the grain uh, upwards, right? Where places are much more things are much more premium to feed off of that uh, that premium status that it gives, right? The idea that uh, uh, that you know you're at a different threshold. Um, can you talk about uh, the regulatory structure in LATAM, like that's missing compared to North America? Like what's developing there? What's uh, what's coming up? 
Um, are they using the similar frameworks that makes it easier for us to do business um, with technology? Is there restrictions coming? Oh, yeah. I mean, we are very, like I would say, uh, uh, saying in diapers. I mean, we are very in diapers in, in that. I mean, but there's, you, you start to see trends and, and you start to see trends, especially because of companies like ours that are coming into that ecosystem with different, uh, you know, level of, of compliances. But I mean, it's just very easy. I mean, in Mexico, uh, so here you're, I mean, you're in Mexico, you are the owner of your, of your information, but you need to, so like by uh, a regulatory thing, their information can be owned by the, the company. So if you, if you don't want your information to be, you know, uh, operated by the company, you need to ask for it not to be. Mm. So it's the other way around. I mean, here they have to ask you permission in order to, you, you there, they have to do it the other way around. So, but I mean, there's a good things and there's a bad things. I mean, in healthcare, what we want to do is, you know, take that opportunity and advantage because once we have the, your medical information, we can provide you. But the thing is that we want to give you the, the, the opportunity. So, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, things are, are, are changing. I mean, but, but then again, politics doesn't help a lot. I mean, we, we just, we're, we're changing into a whole different system of politics. I mean, we've been the last 60 years running, I don't know if it's good or bad, but a different system. Now we're starting a, a populism system in Mexico that's really been changing a whole thing. So imagine if we were trying to, you know, get a little bit better. Now we're like, whoa, this is, you know, you know, they're shutting down things and opening things. And, you know, they, uh, you know, especially like for medical devices, after it was very hard to get a medical device approved, now it's very simple. So, I mean, that's a good thing, but... But we want to be sure that, you know, the medical devices are going to come, are going to comply. I mean, you have to comply with someone else. I mean, I remember last year or the years before, if a medical device was already FDA approved, it was very easy to, to have it uh, you know, approved by the Mexican authorities. Now they don't even ask that. So, I mean, but at the end, as an entrepreneur, you got to be res resilient to, to whatever comes. And, and, and I think at the, at the end, for, especially for LATAM, it's all in you and your conviction. I mean, you can either do it the any way you want to do it, or you want to do it the right way or the, mm. or the best way. So it's kind of sad, but it is. I mean, there are a lot of companies that just do it because they want to do it. But I think at the end that, you know, I, I can say it up out loud. I've been 20 years in service and I, I'm, I'm, I'm here. There's nothing that because I, I've done things the right way. Probably it's not the fastest way, but, but it's the right way. And that's, you know, something that strives. And that's more towards how you, how you like to do things and how you, you want to go out in time of, of how you've been doing so, so for us, being here really helps us to, to higher the threshold of what we're looking for. I mean, even getting, you know, more demanding, it'll cost more for sure. But I'm pretty sure that uh, at the long run, we'll, we'll have a better impact on, on what we're doing for, for, for a whole people. Wow. Eduardo, that's uh, such a refreshing look into things, you know. Um, one part of entrepreneurship is you're doing hard things. And when you're doing hard things, you look for paths of least resistance. Uh, you know, I can appreciate someone who takes uh, the time to go uphill even at a higher, uh, at a higher, um, at a higher, higher pace, um, you know, just because it's the right way to do it. So um, kudos to you, kudos to your team, you know, wish you guys the best. Um, I would love to, you know, have you back here in a recurring theme, yeah. you know. Um, we love uh, inviting guests to uh, you know, come every six months and give us updates on what they're working Hello, on and how things are going. Um, I would love to have you back on again. Right? So uh, we'll reach out um, about that. But uh, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for oh, being here. I, I appreciate it for your for your space. I really congratulate you. I mean, that's something that, that sometimes entrepreneurs need, you know, having a space to talk about and, and going down memory lane. And, and, and for sure, I mean, this, this new type of technology 
help so if if just someone at the end has a good tip from what we're saying discussing that makes a whole difference perfect appreciate it eduardo so thanks everyone thank you very much uh, uh, it's a pleasure coming back absolutely stick around for a few minutes we'll do a quick debrief but for everyone who tuned in thank you thank you